I'm recording, by the way. Why? Well, because I forgot to do a recap of our Deadlands game. What happened? Um, Hex hit everybody in the head with a Bundlebird gun, and we didn't shoot anybody. We pulled everybody's arms out of the socket. I don't think that's what happened. It's close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geomologist Presents. Thanks for listening. At the top of the show, I was discussing with Amy what happened in our Deadlands game. She kind of exaggerated what happened a little, maybe. But uh, we'll get to a proper recap here in a sec. But I have a lot of other things to talk about and things to discuss in this episode. And I also have lots of call-ins. I have call-ins from... Rob, a.k.a. Menyon, from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy, Collins from The Usual Suspect, Jason Connerly, and then rebuttals from some of the things that he said in the previous couple podcasts from Joe Salvador, the Raven God himself. And then I also have a new caller, uh, who one of the players in my ongoing Twilight 2000 game, who has also made a character for an upcoming game of Hostel, that might be drop in, drop out. I'm still working out the details. So I also have a couple unboxings for you, Jason Hobbs, uh, because I know you love them so much. Well, uh, again, thanks for listening, guys, and on with the show. All right, so what happened in our Deadlands game? It was actually pretty exciting. So working on a tip from the guy that they interrogated fellow named elmer blaine they learned that he purchased the gatlin pistol that belonged to len buckles aka george reeg the missing agent that he had bought it from a rustle cattle rustler belonging to a local gang gang of rustlers is called the ghost steel gang and when the person that uh, bought the gun or sold the gun to uh, Elmer is actually in jail. And that person is a Scarlet Kenny. So the players go to talk to the local marshal to get a chance to or possibly meet the Scarlet Kenny. And the marshal's name is Pillsbury Chips Wister. And of course, he is in the pay of. The Heastons, uh, old Jeremy Heaston, Jerem Heaston. So, um, yeah, he's not very pleasant. He gives him a hard time. Sam has to take this guy aside and um, read him the riot act, or give him a piece of her, give him a piece of her mind, and say, if you don't let me talk to him and are not cooperative, I'm going to call down some agents. And maybe Wister is a little intimidated by Sam's hard glare, but he gives in, or at least a deputy who's standing next to, next to him playing cards. That's what they're doing. Wister and his deputy are playing cards. Well, um, he hands, uh, they escort the group uh, to the jail. So they get a different story than they were expecting. While Hex distracts the deputy with a card game where she rem- leaves him of like four dollars or so um jake and sam talk to scarlet kenny yes indeed she is from this cattle rustler group they try not to kill anyone they seem that sort of robin hood-esque you know steal from the rich cattle rancher to help the local peoples and uh, they did have a run-in with len buckles uh, aka george reeg and they yes they feel like they were the last to see him alive they helped him um deal with some menace at his prospect and he gave her the gun as a thank you so yeah unlike what jeremy heaston suggested this ghost river gang uh ghost steel gang did not um did not take out olen buckles george reeg uh they were allies 
So the players make a, a, you know, they need to get out to the prospect. They need to go meet with these guys. Uh, Amy's character, Sam, makes a promise for Kenny to get her some legal representation and get her out of jail, or at least uh, switched over to the custody of the agency, um, as opposed to uh, the Houston gang <laughs> at rural Houston Hill here. So, um, so yeah, so then they go, they, they're going to go out to one of the towns nearby where the Ghost Steel gang is around. They get uh, the name of the leader's brother who runs a bar uh, saloon um, in one of these towns. Before they leave town, they're going to go out and uh, check, finish uh, investigating Len Buckle's old house. So um, they head there and they spot like more recovery of the ghost rock that had been exploded by Hex. Uh, there's like a, you know, a court, uh, it's been cordoned off. There are people kind of sifting through the grass with uh, gold pans to pick up flecks of ghost rock. There's some guards there and uh, Hex spots uh, Heaston's son, old um, Marshall, uh, and she goes over to deal with them. Maxim, that's his name's Maxim, sorry. She goes over to talk to them, uh, maybe get a card game, distract him while Jake and Sam finish uh, with the house. So, um, right, so she goes there to play cards. There's some mouthiness um, and uh, shit talk back and forth. And eventually Maxim Heaston recognizes who Hex is and says, oh, you're that gunslinger who won uh, that contest there at, uh, at sundown up in, uh, up in Wyoming territory. Or is it Wyoming? No, Dakota territory, I think. And uh, yeah, are you that good? So <laughs> they proceed to have a duel. And um, meanwhile, back up at the house, so, you know, uh, they don't really find anything, but uh, yay, failing forward. Uh, Jake's uh, character rolls a double ones and falls and bangs his head and gets some bruises and stuff. But uh, he fell on a loose floorboard. And uh, before they can investigate that, they hear the sound of gunfire. I ran a duel and... Uh, there was some prep. We just ran it kind of as a dual mechanic, which you draw some cards and there's like a buildup of three rounds while um, the, the, the lookers on can do things. Um, Hex actually gets the first shot in, but uh, Maxim Heaston is able to soak the shot, kind of turn at the last second and just gets a graze. Um, and... Maxim Heaston, she learns, can fan the hammer and fires twice. And the first shot goes wide. The second shot hits Hex. Uh, but she had prepared and has had some protection, like a barrier up, which slows down the shot and is able to uh, soak the damage. So it's a draw. By that time, Sam says, you got this, Jake, as he's trying to pick himself up off the floor. And Sam runs out there to catch the end of the duel and does a pretty cool maneuver. Sam, you know, kind of tackles Heaston effectively and hit cuffs him. And like, it is, is a pretty cool maneuver. Uh, Amy's player rolled really well. My guy, despite having Benny's did not meet match and it was a struggle, but, uh, Sam has Maxim Heaston cuffed. Uh, of course, his uh, uh, his cronies take offense, and there's a fun little melee where <laughs> whereby uh, you know Hex and Sam start beating these guys up, but they don't kill them, and it, it's really pretty interesting. So Jake finds some stuff under the floorboard. He finds this like uh, child, you know, old child shoe which is a, a symbol, a, I guess, a good luck charm in the West. Apparently, I did not know that. And on top of it is the, age, the uh, George Reed's uniform, his badge, and I believe there was a, a key, um, I think. In fact, it was an odd barrel-shaped key. Uh, hearing the gunfire, Jake 
uh, grabs the key, leaves the rest there, and runs out there. And of course, while you know the the melee was ensuing, one of the the, the cronies kind of um, starts running to get get pops and daddy and the law, and uh, Jake intercepts him and pistol whips him into a submission unconsciousness and it's pretty it is pretty ends up being pretty a pretty fun funny scene where sam lifts heaston over her shoulder and starts marching to drop her off uh to daddy's uh to to you know drop him off at jerem heaston's office and you know the meanwhile hex you know gun butt and fisticuffs pistol whips um other dudes into submission that are trying to trail Sam and rescue their, their, their little boss. Uh, eventually Sam makes it to Jerem Heaston's office, kicks open the door, throws the sun like on the couch there. Jerem Heaston looks up and says, well, thank you for not killing my son, but I think it's best that you leave town right now, at least for a little while. I don't want you, y'all get killed now. So it's a veiled threat, of course. Uh, the I'm surprisingly, I'm sure I'm surprised there was a shootout that did not ensue. But the players act cool, and they're like, "Okay, well, we got some business uh, to attend to." Uh, of course, the law catches up with them and threatens, but Heaston, Jeremy Heaston, raises his hand, and says, "No, no, they're leaving now." So um, yeah, they they head out of town um, on their three black horses um, to go meet with the ghost steel gang and see what happened to Len Buckles as they were the last to see him alive. So fun session. Uh, a lot. I think a, it's a good combination of, of fisticuffs action and hilarity. Uh, great ideas by the players that seemed that the dice seemed to favor. Um, so it was a good, a uh, good episode, I think in our ongoing deadlands campaign where we're running the horror of uh headstone hill right now okay what's next i think we'll hear from menian next hey carl this is rob also known as menion from uh, confessions of weed tamaris bushy just finished listening to your latest episode and uh, it's always good to hear your re- recaps because you're as far uh, i don't know maybe you're you seem more concise anyway than than I am with your recaps. They're, they're good. I really enjoy them. So it's good to hear uh, Wuthrup. That sounds like it's really rolling along. Um, the other games as well that, you know, I, I don't play personally, but they all sound like really, really good. Um, and the OSC game that you're running in uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. And it's, it's one of the things about these old modules. I mean, like Homlet, um, that's a 17-page module, and I've said this a thousand times it took us a year and a half to get through that <laughs> and it's just so packed um so yeah it's great that you're you get getting a bit of mileage out of the the old stuff and uh re re uh reusing it <laughs> hey rob thanks for the call yeah i hope the village of hamlet doesn't take us a year to play um i'm i am enjoying it it's been pretty cool um no Recaps are than what you heard Deadlands in this episode, but I definitely owe some recaps from last week's gaming play. Um, as I'm recording this now, uh, Monday is probably going to become Wednesday as it comes to when it comes to releasing this episode. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and we're really, I can't wait to do the recap for our last or latest uh, whiff rip, as you call it. It's uh, taken an interesting turn. Um, and all the sessions I had yesterday or last week from um, from Twilight 2000 to our OSC game and Jackal's game finally on Sunday were all pretty pretty cool. So so yeah, I'm gonna I'll keep doing recaps. I try not to just give like a report, but also some insight, especially when I'm when I'm running the game as to like why I make the decisions I make. So I hope that's helpful too. All right, thanks for the call, Rob. Next up, a series of calls from Jason. Carry on my wayward son. 
Jason here, catching up on your show. Uh, when I'm not going back and forth to work, when I usually listen to podcasts, I tend to get behind, so I'm a little bit behind here. Great call by Colin and some great commentary by you. You, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and the Juneteenth holiday is something that President Biden got right. So, you know, kudos to him for that. It's um, about all. But anyway, as far as other stuff you talked about, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm sick and English is only my first language. I can barely speak it. You know, I speak American instead. And um, that's a joke, folks. But now I probably do pronounce words differently different times I call in. And if that bothers Hobbs, I, I do apologize. It's not my intent to aggravate him. Yeah, actually, when I was looking up the Juneteenth holiday, I guess I didn't realize it was only. Uh, last year, when it was made a national holiday, or at least a government holiday, I guess I would remember it every year because I had a good friend of mine who would remember it. We'd uh, go out and uh, have some some vittles and and uh, drink to talk about it, commemorate it, celebrate it. And uh, that friend has since passed away, which kind of sucks. But um, yeah, I guess that. The holiday also reminds me of him. Um, it's actually uh, my friend uh, Cliff Bland, who uh, was the co-owner of Dragon's Lair in San Antonio, passed away a few years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so it does hold a special place for me, remembering that. And I'm glad it's um, being recognized nationally now. And I would say... That Hobbes also mispronounces words now and then. So, and I'm sure I do occasionally. Uh, we all do. We think it's pronounced a certain way and um, misspell things too. Um, right? The way we spell color is different from the way people in the UK spell color, and they would probably say we spell it wrong, for example. But, uh, you know, tomato, tomato, and all that. So I think it's probably okay if we pronounce, mispronounce a word here and there. I mean, it is duchy, not duchy. Right, Mr. Hobbs? Hmm? Anyway, I will, uh, let's go to your next call. As far as playing in games, I don't like, as Carl's, Carl, you nailed it, um, I'm a social gamer, so it's okay. I don't mind. Overly. Um, yeah, I don't know. What to, I mean, you know, you got to play the games that are out there, right? Is it better to play in something than nothing? Well, is a social gamer, I think it is. If I was more interested in the game, then maybe I would say, oh, I'm not interested in these games. I'll just do solo play instead and dive into solo play. But that's not really, you know, I'm more interested. I have a hard time getting solo play off the ground because I like the interaction of other people. So I'd rather play in a high fantasy game that I'm not overly interested in because I get to hang out with my buddies than, you know, solo play where I'm not as engaged. So I, I don't mind. I, I just like to change it up every now and then, which we're going to do with Hostel. Yeah, Jason, I totally hear you. I, too, am somewhat of a social gamer. I'll play a game if I like the people that I'm playing in. And if I don't like the people I'm playing in, well, I, I won't play. So maybe it's a little different. But I definitely appreciate you playing, and I think you always bring a lot to the table, uh, no matter if, you, as you self-denigrate and say you do not, I think you do. I love Goblin's quips. I loved uh, your wizard in DCC. I loved how you brought him alive into the table. I love riffing off of you when you play uh, OSC and our Retlaw, uh, my brother from another mother um, in that game. So we play uh, Retlaw and the Dude in a way. So if you get the reference, 
listeners, kudos to you. So, so yeah, I am looking to, I'm looking forward to Hostel. Um, I hope it is a good change. I really feel like I still need to prep for it, and I probably will talk about it. I'm not sure in more detail um, next time or this time. Um, I'm not sure if, it, if I'm inspired to bring it up again. Well, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I have a cool idea uh, where we can have, like, you know, intentionally, it, really, I intend to have it to be drop in, drop out. I hope we have a regular group of players because that's always cool. And then we can see how they progress in the way that Traveler might progress, which is accumulate wealth and influence. Although Cepheus Engine, not necessarily hostile, but Cepheus Engine does have a pathway to advancement in its system. Um, and it's not just through instruction, which is in the, uh, was in, I know it was in Mega Traveler. I'm not quite sure if it was in Classic Traveler. I know it's in Mongoose Traveler. It's, you know, improving your character by means of instruction. There's a mechanic for it. Uh, so, and uh, Hostel is Cepheus OGL. So I don't know if it's an add-on, but we'll have to discuss it. I know some players, for some players, it's a it's a deal breaker to not advance in a game um, through you know experience and advance your characters like stats on paper. But I guess the one of the conceits in Traveler and when you get these skills, it's like each term is is a four year term, right? So it's not like yeah, it takes time. It takes time to accumulate these skills, and on a two d six, a plus one or a plus two is pretty significant, uh, honestly. So, but hostile. So I am going to use the verse as it's presented as best as I can. I will tweak things accordingly to see how it fits. Um, but I think I would like to have, since it's a drop in, drop out, there might be a safe space and hopefully it'll work out. I'll have to try to plan the sessions accordingly. But if it is like, if we do start on, let's say the, on the Nostradamus, which I conceive is this huge oil refinery uh, ship of which there are precedent, uh, there's something. There's a ship called the Trinity uh, that one of the big corporations, the same corporation you guys are going to work for um, in this verse, or let me not work for, associate with, because they're the ones who built the big, the big station that you're on, the Nostradamus, which is an oil refinery, uh, but also has it's kind of an amalgamation between an oil refinery sh ship and a um, a mining colony ship uh, that I've seen in the book too. So you, they kind of put those two concepts, I put those two concepts together to make this, you know, 1.5 megaton displacement hull size star mobile star base as it were. And I feel like, um, yeah, I think we could, it's kind of neat the way I conceive of it is like when you jump, you can jump from there cause it'll have other ships that leave from it. Um, so you could go through the jump mechanic. I kind of like how, uh, Hobbs has described, or how I, when I played Forlorn Shores, Shores, you start from the central city um, where you take the ship to go to the Forlorn Shore. So we could something might happen. There might be a mishap. Um, so we'll go through that mechanic. They get to the location where we have the adventure. Hope, I don't know if it'll take... Ideally, each adventure would take like one session, but sometimes that doesn't happen, as you know. Um, and, and then you can get back to base right at the end do another like jump sequence and, and get back to base if things work out so i really have to look at some of these adventures and hopefully they'll take one or two sessions um, um hope ideally one right so then you get back to base things can happen on the base too i guess right why not why wouldn't things be able to happen on the base i think that'll be kind of cool um since it is you know it'll have it's like you know uh, bars and other places there could be so there definitely will be representatives of the other corporations on the ship and also political entities as well and uh, other groups. Um, so I think it will be a kind of cool and I'll try to make it as dynamic, but as vague as possible. Um, I don't know, right? Sometimes on Babylon 5, right? If you think of Babylon 5 or Deep Space Nine, sometimes there are adventures or episodes on the ship and sometimes... Uh, there are episodes away uh, away from from that, so so I think I'll have we'll have a, a chance to do both. I hope um, I have an idea for initial adventure, but maybe not. Maybe I'll have something happen on the base. So if it's on the base, then you know uh, the safe space will be 
you know, I'm deciding between company headquarters or our favorite, our favorite bar might be the, the safe space, the place where you, you bunk or you have a permanent residence for some reason or another, some relationship with the, the NPCs that own, own the bar or hotel or whatever hotel that has a bar, maybe a la, a la expanse, you know, the, uh, private investigator on the, uh, asteroid went, always went to this one place. Right. So, um, or maybe he had a place that he lived. I don't know. Anyway, but I'll think of something. It should be, it should be pretty cool. Uh, anyway, yeah. Thanks for the call. And, uh, maybe, I think maybe in the next call, you might talk a little bit more about the hostel too. So we'll see. Uh, but you have another call. Let's get to that. And while I won't read you a litany of shark attacks across the world, um, I, I, I think you have an apology to those brave men of the Indianapolis. Go back, watch Jaws, listen to Quint's speech, and feel bad for yourself, Carl, for defending sharks. Hey, Jason, I'm not going to really correct you, but I am going to say that I did mention that tiger sharks were man-eaters when I talked about sharks. And tiger sharks were among the species that may have also killed some sailors uh, when the Indianapolis sank uh, there at towards the end of World War II in July of 1945. So it, it, is the re it is, does say that the Indianapolis resulted in most shark attacks on human history in one span, which is accurate. And they may have been oceanic white-tip sharks as well not just great whites or tiger sharks. However, um, it, the documentary that I've seen and the one that's the most cited does say that most of the deaths from the Indianapolis were due to exposure, salt poisoning, and thirsty hydration with the dead actually being dragged off by the sharks, which might have been misconstrued as shark attacks, but maybe they were just feeding on, on the, the sailors who, were, who passed away at sea there, which is kind of tragic. So it definitely was a very tragic uh, occurrence. And what's interesting is that uh, the person who had commanded the Indianapolis through several battles and survived the sinking of the ship, the captain, was uh, court-martialed, um, which was interesting. He was court-martialed on two charges, failing to order his men to abandon ship and the hazarding of the ship. Uh, he was cleared of the charge of failing to order to abandon ship, but was conscripted convicted of hazarding his ship by failing to zigzag, which is kind of controversial, it seems. Anyway, um, yeah, so it is definitely very tragic. Uh, and shark attacks do happen, but they don't happen very often. Hey, Carl, I enjoyed your recaps. I think the little more concise ones probably are a little bit better. Your volume levels were a lot better this episode, so kudos on that. Is far as keeping my characters alive, it's appreciated. I mean, I, I won't be conceited and say that, you know, Goblin's the real hero of Abomination Vaults, but, you know, we know he is. Um, did other, any of the other characters sing you a backstory? Exactly. As far as not letting Retlaw get eaten in OSE, that's cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think if, if there's going to be multiple games of OSE going on, it'd be nice if all the rules are the same. I mean, in my opinions the house rules are pretty well known. Um, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, I'm a big fan of including the players in discussion of house rules and not inflicting them on the players by GM Fiat. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say definitely I, my thoughts are to include the players and propose to the players. These are the house rules that I'm thinking of. Or these are the changes I'm thinking of. What do you think? Uh, I would say, yes, I, I am definitely in that camp. As far as, yeah, I need to talk to BJ just about house rules and what he thinks of that and what he wants to do. Uh, maybe he doesn't feel like he needs any more. He does have a whole document about them. Um, but then I've noticed that with every carcass crawler, we discuss implementing what carcass crawler, the new optional rules from carcass crawler that come out. So so I don't know. Your mileage may vary with that. I, I guess the only ones that I am interested in is, is things house rules that benefit the characters that'll keep them alive or at least give them at least a, one last chance to stay alive uh, when they go to zero hit points. And that's why I was proposing sort of the turn the body over or the, um, the sunder the shield, which can give another, you know, like another saving throw 
um, or some a, a limited amount of meta currency for uh, the players to survive more. So, I mean, those are the ones that I would think of. Um, as the far as the volume goes, Jason, to me, I hear this on a lot of podcasts, and I'm not going to say which ones, but there are quite a few podcasts that I know you call into, but I don't hear you openly commenting on the volume changes. But definitely there are a lot of us who are soft-spoken, and then when the, the inter- interim or intervening music or sound comes on, boom, you have to definitely lower lower the volume. And that happens to me on several different podcasts. But to maybe that's part of, uh, like Tim Schwartz says, giving me a hard time. So uh, so I guess we're friends because you give me a hard time about that. Anyway, uh, again, thanks for the calls. Hey, Joe Salvatore has this whole series of calls where I think, I don't know if he, it seems like he counterpoints some of the things that you say. Maybe he ribs you a little bit. Um, so uh, let's take a listen um, for what Joe Salvatore is going to say coming up. Again, thanks for the calls, Jason. Always fun to discuss with you. I hope I've answered some of your questions, and I hope you prompted me to give you some more insight on Hostel. Yeah, recaps for sure. I'm trying to be as concise as possible, and like I've said, trying to um, discuss uh, why I make the rules or rulings I do or kind of my thought process on doing certain things. Uh, for example, you know, like the ticking clock um, that I implemented uh, for the perception of the ghouls in the other rooms um, in uh, Abomination Vault. Anyway, uh, here comes Joe Salvador. Hey, Carl, it's Joe. Um, Hey, man, some great episodes these past few. Uh, I'm still finishing your most recent. But um, yeah, I wanted to call and just say, I, I think you should probably uh, hold off on the Reaver recap. If you haven't, if you've done it already, it's fine. But um, I feel like we're probably going to reset that little battle and try to rerun it with, I guess, the clarified rules. I feel like things are a, a little bit more understandable the way I, I wrote it. Um, I'm going to get that out to you guys here pretty soon. But um, yeah, and, and then the other topics, I you know, I'm not the biggest fan of high fantasy. Um, I like it. I, I'll certainly run it. And I don't know that DCC is high fantasy. I would consider DCC weird fantasy, at least from the adventures that I've read and played, um, which I think is different. Uh, you know, I'm going to call you back. Yeah, high fantasy, man. I, I, I like it. I'm, like I said, I, I like it. I, I play it and run it. Um, but I don't really think of you know, even Tolkien as high fantasy. Um, I don't think that elves and orcs in a setting necessarily makes that high fantasy. I think, um, I think the regularity and the commonality of magic, uh, is, is the key ingredient. Like if it's just an everyday occurrence to see magic or to use magic, I think that's high fantasy. I think Forgotten Realms is, is crazy high fantasy. Um, not my favorite, uh, but like I said, I'd, I'd certainly, uh, certainly do it. Um, yeah, and the westerns. Totally play a western game. Uh, I we played my, my home group played a western game for a long time using um, D twenty modern, and yeah, we had a great time. There was very little weird in it. Um, I think at one point we we had to fight like a, a mad scientist, but that was fun. Anyway, later. Thank you, Joe, for those calls, and um, yep. So I decided not to share Reaver yet. And we were supposed to play uh, this week, but it looks like it's going to be postponed again. So we'll have to wait for that Reaver recap um, and see, you know, what's what we're going to do or what's going on with that group. You're right; we we'll probably reset, especially since. Well, I guess it, it it was a good session, even though you know there's no recap for it because you know you were able to see some of the right with. You saw some things that you didn't like that worked or that you didn't like in our encounter and you wanted to tweak them. So I think that's the beauty of playtesting and I'm glad we were able to do it. So, yeah, I, what do you listeners think? What about what is consists high fantasy? I mean, that he, Joe suggests that Tolkien is not high fantasy and it's ubiquity of magic. 
in the world that determines what's high fantasy or not. And I would say I tend to agree. A, a, a setting like, um, like the Forgotten Realms or uh, Pathfinder's Galerion or Eberron would pro- would be, in my opinion, considered a high fantasy because of that prevalence of magic. But um, you know, other other games maybe not so much. I mean. Where does Greyhawk fall in? Does is there a lot of, I don't, I don't know if it's there's like you know, like in, is there like a, an ensconced, continual light torch on every block or in lanterns like in Ebron or in, um, probably in Absalom, in Golarion or in Waterdeep, right? Um, in the Forgotten Realms, it's a good question. It's something interesting that. Joe brings up. So it turns out Joe is not really um, disagreeing with Jason, but just kind of comp- they're comparing notes, comparing uh, what what they like to play, what they like to run. And it does seem, especially uh, given given what I've seen Joe write and what he's working on, he tends to like and and read actually. He tends to like uh, sword and sorcery. Am I correct? And like guess I kind of tend to also, though I will play High Fantasy and uh, Bog Standard Vanilla D&D. So anyway, Joe, thanks for the call. You have a, a couple other things to say. But not that much later, because I'm calling you back seconds later. Um, his, historical games, I'm, I'm totally down. Uh, they offer so much that you can explore in all these different settings that we, you know, in the, in the historical past... Um, a Thurian game set at the end of, you know, late antiquity. Rome has left the Isles and, and you know, Saxons and Utes are coming. It's super interesting, man. I totally play that. You know, there doesn't need, need to be any magic. Or if there is, it's only a suggestion of magic. Like, you know, maybe Merlin's a dude, but, you know, is he really a sorcerer? Don't know. Um, same thing goes, like, same thing goes for, like, Westerns or, you know, modern games and military games, something like that. Uh, I still love my Cthulhu by Gaslight, don't get me wrong. And I'd certainly play like a, like a weird West game, but again, just so much to offer in historical settings. All right, peace. P.S. That little coaster handout was amazing, and Amy did an awesome job with it. I really love, I love handouts, man. Maybe it's the Call of Cthulhu thing, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. There's always good historical stuff, and maybe that could be a future podcast you know to do we need weird in our historical role-playing should it be subtle should it be overt when people hear call of cthulhu they automatically change their mindset and maybe it's better to just have like a historical period game um and not have anything strange or weird or if it is, it's subtle. It could be interpreted in different ways. I think that's kind of the way to go. Um, yeah, and it's really fun. And I think Amy's really gotten into the Twilight 2000 game. And even from the beginning there when she had that coaster. And now, uh, yeah, we're in a different phase now. Um, finished um, the adventure outline in the Free City of Krakow. and. Now going on to either river travel through Pirates of Vistula or heading to a nuclear wasteland for the Black Madonna adventure. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. And I mean, in Twilight 2000, it's like pseudo, well, it's post-apocalyptic, but there's nothing really weird, right, in it, we think. I mean, and it's really fun. So I think you can do... um, that like a period drama without the mythos without yog sothery um, you know and horror maybe the horror is because of people and it's not a strange monster at all right so anyway joe thanks for the calls and uh, we have actually one more call oh nope no i think i will uh 
I will burden you guys with an unboxing first because it's kind of cool. And then after that, I got one more call from a new caller and uh, we'll wrap it up. I think the uh, post office finally caught up from the weekend and the holiday and I got a couple boxes. The first one is coming from the History Book Club. So I I'm I couldn't find my handy trusty box, uh, opener. So I'm using a Swiss knife knockoff from Columbia. Little blue thing. Sharp enough, more like a letter opener than a knife. It works, right? The History Book Club, you know, you buy little credits. It's acting like, like, like a saw this time. And you can get free books occasionally. Well, not really free. You pay ahead of them, but you get them at off reduced, in theory, list price. Um, but anyway, it's fun. So I got a couple books. What do I got? Um, I got, oh wow, I got Chernobyl. It's a book on Chernobyl um, and the whole history of it. Lots of pictures, heavy into pictures, and then pictures of the aftermath and what's going on now, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, it, was, uh, it just says 26 April 1986, Chernobyl. So, let me see. It's a photographic examination of the catastrophe its aftermath and lasting effects with 180 authentic images. So I've always been interested in, I have not seen the show. I know there's a show that talks about it, um, but it's, this is pretty fascinating. It's like looking at abandoned world on Instagram in a way, some of these pictures, but there's pictures of the people that work there too, which is quite interesting. So yeah, a lot of pictures of abandoned world and what's going on now. All right. Well, that's Chernobyl. That's quite interesting. And the second one is I book I got is um, a book by Stephen Zaloga called Smashing Hitler's Guns, The Rangers at Point Duhok, D-Day, 1944. And I've seen this book advertised and I've been wanting to read about the rangers scaling the cliffs at Point Duhok uh, just before dawn on June 6th, right? Um, they definitely showed that. I believe they showed that in um, Saving Private Ryan, right? So... Um, on Omaha Beach, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, got some pictures in the middle, but you know, definitely like a um, his, history book or historical account book. So um, yeah, pretty interesting. That's the first box. There is another box. This box is more gaming related, I promise. And what else? Uh, right, from Privateer Press. Out of hey, they're in uh, Washington. This box is super heavy. Um, give me a weight. It they shipped, shipped it medium mail, but it's very heavy. Doesn't tell me uh, the seven pound medium mail weight. I guess it feels like a bit like seven pounds. So there we open. It's bubble wrapped. As I open this thing, oh man, how many books are in here? Four books? I didn't know there was four books in this guy. Let's see. Um, it looks like some sort of uh, GM screen. Shadows of the Seeker Adventure in the Mysterious Elven Homeland in the Iron Kingdoms. These are all hardbacks, which is really nice. It's a 96-page adventure book. Um, for adventures levels 1 to 5, so I guess you got to start over again from the previous thing that took place. The Borderlands Survival Guide. Uh, new rules for hazards, stress system, guidance how to craft compelling stories, mythical wondrous items, monsters, and more. So this is... Uh, Pretty cool. Adventures. Oh, 
doesn't have player stuff in this one because it's cute. This might just be a GM's type of book. Yep, yep, it looks like from the borderlands of the Glimmerwoods and Ios. Um, these books are also very nice production. They do a great job and bring the Iron Kingdom's aesthetic to the 5e. These are all 5e books. Um, yeah, pretty nice. Fun stuff. And then finally, well, I'll have to open the GM screen and see what it looks like. But the main book was Borderlands and Beyond, Beyond Lock and Load with New Classes and Gear. What are the new uh, new races? So uh, these are all the, uh, this is like Balgrin Pharaoh, uh, March Folk, Pygmy Trolls, and Solus, and Bone Grinders, Shamans, Warlocks, Barbarians, Clerics, Fighters, Gunfighters, Mechanics, Monks. Oh, they have new, for the previous classes, uh, they have um, new archetypes, uh, but they have new ones like Shaman and Warlock. Bone Grinder seems new too, new Armored Weapons. War Beasts, finally, for Warlocks. So, uh, pretty cool. We ran a fun game um, with the previous rule systems. Using, you know, with these guys. With the non-city folks. But uh, Shaman is in here. Love it. And then Warlock. Fury points, cantrips, spells, etc. Should be pretty cool. And all these new archetypes for the Borderlands and beyond. Pretty cool. For everything. Uh, actually, they have quite a few. Um, yeah, they have, I guess they, I thought they had Nis Hunter, but maybe there's another one for, but they got Rogues, Mage Slayers, new things for Warcasters, um, Gulek Spellcasters, Wizards, just different traditions. And then multi-classing, uh, what you need for multi-classing, which is kind of cool. And more backgrounds, etc. So a lot of stuff. This is like the... These are like, oh, it has like kind of... Oh, for me, new, uh, new groups as well, which is cool. It's like one of the things that they did. Adventuring companies, they kind of put in um, to the 5th edition houses and clans, like rural clans, which they didn't have before. New spells... Um, War Beasts, Terran Feeding, love it. Uh, oh yeah, Myrmidons and stuff. Wow. So they have Rulet, Steam Jacks, and I think Iosian. Yeah, Mer Iosian Steam Jacks, or Myrmidons, they call them. Um, pretty cool. Then the War Beasts. Let's see what kind of War Beasts they have. For the big no big warbies, hmm. I guess oh, maybe they're in the other their previous books, and now so they have Dunian troll beasts, the war warbies. Oh, they have the different ones and where you can find them. Um, so feral warbies, cool. Okay, so they have it and then they refer to where you can find them. But they got a lot of uh, humanoid and you know, pygmy trolls and creole warriors and rule um, in the back. Here, can you be? The big question is, can you be a troll buffalo rider? Hmm, I'll have to look. Can you? Uh, let me look. I'm hoping under. I don't see one. I don't see one at honestly. Oh, maybe Path of the Long Rider. Let me look. That'd be something that uh, one of my buddies would love to know about. And it's very exciting, you know, me flipping through pages. <laughs> it's under a bar it seems like it's a barbarian archetype, which is interesting. If it is that. Yep. Path of the Long Rider is a primal path for barbarians. Uh, for centuries, the Mulgar tribes tamed and rode into battle atop massive bison or stags. So, yep. Pretty cool. That would go the beast at, starting at third level while raging. Can use your bonus action to have your mount make an attack. Nice. I love it. 
hopefully they have uh i think they do have hopefully they have the beast in here or in another book oh they do bloodstone a bison spirovovic mountain goat or oak so nice pretty cool i'm excited i this is one of my favorite uh Incarnations of 5e, and I got more books to do it. Hey, Carl. Judge Ungers here. Just calling to say thanks for the Twilight 2000 session last night. I thought it went pretty well. You did a good job of laying the groundwork and, you know, putting out rumors for possibly our next mission, or maybe two. We'll have to see where things go, and I'm looking forward to the next session. Have a good one. Peace out. Hey, Joe. Thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you joined the group, and I think it's a really good group. And like I alluded to earlier, um, it's kind of cool that we're now in a transition in this game or transitioning point. And I think it's gone really well. We've almost... I've almost been running it for a year, it seems. It'll be a year in about three weeks. So I did it kind of on my start of my birthday. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool. I'm glad we're even playing it. So, and, uh, yeah, I guess I'll talk about that and other games next time. Um, so thanks again for all these call-ins. Thank you for indulging me and my players for helping me to to generate the narrative for those recaps. Um, so thank you again, Jason Connerly and Joe Salvador and Joe Youngers, who is uh, the first time caller, plays in my Twilight 2000 game, and I think he's going to play in the Hostel game as well. So. Uh, well, the intro and outro music is by T.J. Drennan, and that's all I got left to say then. I'm sorry this one's gone almost to an hour, but I guess since I haven't podcast in about a week, is that too long? I don't know. If I get if I was more regular in the not distribution in releasing these episodes, then I guess they'd be shorter. But oh well. Anyway, uh, good night, everyone. And uh, TJ, take us out.